the talk this evening <coughs> is on being prepared. In this talk this evening, I wish to speak about the necessary qualifications that are required of one in order that, that one may know and see the highest. And these qualifications are in fact enjoined upon one are necessary in order that one can see and understand what truth is. <coughs> With people there is of course a strong urge and desire to know. And there's a tremendous amount of inquiry going on in different ob uh, things because people have different objectives. A tremendous amount of uh, specialization going on <coughs> in order that one acquires and gains new knowledge. And of course it is something rightly encouraged. Similarly, this desire, this need to know also works in terms of Dharma, in terms of practice, in terms of existence and in terms of the highest. To need the need to know, to find out what the highest really is, what it means. But the highest cannot be known in terms of understood unless there is there already with a person the necessary qualifications meaning that one is prepared. Without preparation nothing can be known in terms of the essential immaculate Dharma. So what are some of the factors which are really, really necessary in order that one can right from the ground begin to work and develop and grow from ground level? There is one major, major factor which really has to be there. I cannot see a person coming to the highest understanding unless this basic preliminary factor is there. And that is a genuine disinterestedness to what we call the ways of the world. Unless that is there, the person cannot gain that deeper insight and understanding which is also necessary. As long as a person is really thinking and orientating their life towards material satisfaction, comforts, prosperity, name and fame, status, position, property, influence. As long as the mind is directed towards that, 
then there is very little possibility of understanding what truth and freedom really is. The person needs to be truly, inwardly disinterested in all of that, having no taste nor time for it, in order to come to much deeper levels. That doesn't mean to say, of course, that there are no tendencies in that direction. It doesn't mean to say that the interest is completely uh, gone altogether. But in, actual, but in actualities, of the main body of interest is not there. If I may just say from... Uh, speak with regard to this in terms of uh, my experience, in terms of observation as one who has been concerned to Dharma these past nine years. I've met many, quite a, a lot, many people in fact, who follow, who are sincerely dedicated or interested in Dharma. And one might even take into consideration people who uh, have taken a particular way of life, they have uh, become ordained, they have shaved their heads, they have lead, led a, a life of, in the forest and a life of isolation. Those, those people who went into it uh, because they were encouraged to by their parents, uh, because they want, just wanted to do it because of some impulse. Those people who uh, or were ushered into it because of financial difficulties and so forth didn't progress and don't progress very far and deep. Because there is still a kind of uh, yearning and wanting for that, but perhaps through failure, perhaps through just not succeeding, then they take this, what becomes a rather alternative lifestyle. Whereas those who have lived life in terms of the material plane and have experienced it and seen it to be what it is, really nothing, quite empty, and feel no, nothing towards it. Those are the ones who have, who have gone much further and much deeper in terms of their insight and understanding. A genuine, a real deep gut level dispassion to the material plane. Just seeing it just as it is. The old saying about uh, having one's cake and eating it is really true in that if, you, if there is cake there and you want it the cake has to go in terms of eating it and people who have been in the, in the, the world of activity and have as it were received or experienced what is called the good things of life and have really eaten it up and seen it is nothing. Such people are truly ready for the most essential Dharma. One would say, of course, in terms of the motivation and intention of the mind, there is with the majority of people, in actual fact, a mixture of both. There is the wish to know what true freedom and the joy of it really is, yet also there is a very strong attraction and pull towards success in some particular sphere or other, status, influence, wealth and so forth. And there's a there's a, a mixture in the in the mind of both. One would say of such people who have who 
are interested and who want both, their life by and large will be a happy life. It will be a reasonably contented sort of life. And there will be a certain amount of degree and harmony and unity in that life. There's no, no question about that. And the person will find that in the right spirit much of what they need and want from the, the world of objects, the world of things, will come their way. And the, the Dharma will be there for them which will be, as it were, a check on their minds that they don't get too lost, too involved and therefore when the Dharma serves as a check one doesn't bring upon oneself all manner of different sufferings. So the Dharma serves the people also who wish to enjoy the good things of life. Now, what, do, what are some of the, the uh, qualifications which are needed? Though I just mentioned a few minutes ago about people who go into the ordained way of life, it should be understood that it's certainly not necessary at all, not necessarily necessary at all, that one has to physically leave everything behind. That one has to be lead a celibate life, that one has to go to the forest, the cave, the monastery, the ashram, the vihara or whatever. That is not necessary. But to gain deep, real insight, genuine insight, mentally everything has to be left behind. Mentally everything has to be left behind. It cannot, that understanding and insight cannot in fact come about by just wishing to leave everything behind. It is by clearly seeing that whether you wish it or whether you don't, everything actually is left behind. The fact is, you have no say in the matter. I have no say in the matter. Everything has to be left behind. Your husband, your lover, your mother, your father, your possessions, your body, the trees, the flowers, it all has to be left behind. By the very nature it takes place. All that Dharma says is, see the truth of it. Whether you like it or not, so see the truth of it. Not because one is trying to develop a life-negating view or a world-negating view. It is not for that reason. It is because in all of that involvement one misses the truly immaculate. So let us see, let us, let us look at some of the basic uh, mm, qualifications. And one of them is, and it is well worth bearing in mind, is the ability to leave things behind, mentally, mentally. And that is simple little acts of renunciation, little acts of just letting things go. You see something, somebody doing something, your urge is to go to them and tell them what they ought to be doing. Tell them or try and put them straight. The moment that one does that, one sets oneself up an authority. They should be not be doing this, they should be doing that. Dharma is to leave it go, let it go. Let it go. When one sees, that is especially when one sees the mind is in a state of annoyance. Sometimes it's necessary to speak. 
Dharma is to have the strength to speak. So similarly when one goes outside, when one goes into the city, into the town, you walk through the streets, one experiences this touch upon the eyeball as you're walking by the shop. And so their head goes, Dharma is to keep walking, leave it behind. There's much more joy to be discovered in your own being than there'll ever be from getting it out, something out of the shop window. Dharma is to see, look, here in my mind there are things which I want, clothes which I want, books which I want, friends which I want, things for my house which I want, etc., etc. Each time that the one oneself sees there is something that I want, then the question comes for one who's leading a truly life, is it a real necessity for my life? Is it an absolute must? And if the moment you see it's just something, it's, it's a luxury. It's a luxury. It's something to show off or it's something to show to somebody else or it's something to just to flatter me or to build me up or whatever. Dharma is to let it go. And one might say in this that because of the way of the world at the present, because of the amount of exploitation of the materials, because of the amount of suffering which exists on the planet, enormous, incredible suffering, people who haven't Many people who haven't been out of Australia perhaps have not seen what suffering is in the material plane. Just perhaps time, time to time a, a road accident or a hospital or, or personal sickness or something. But the depth of, and the degree of suffering that's in people's lives, physical and, and mental, is enormous. And so in terms of leaving things behind and letting go, especially upon that which one knows is merely a luxury, there's something also in the question of ethics now which arises. How ethical it is to be pursuing after this and that. So the question is leaving things behind. That is a fundamental, very basic prerequisite. And it certainly one can understand it much, much more in terms of its relationship to this genuine detachment from things. When there is that genuine detachment from things which apparently seem to have a magnetic pull, it's much easier to let things go. It's like in the, the Olympic Games, in the they have all these different uh, uh, events on. And uh, one, one event which always draws a lot of attention is the pole water. And you probably have seen at some time or other the fellow, the pole water. He's got the pole. And down there, about, I don't know, 50, 100 yards away, there's this tall bar. They're perhaps up to 17 or 18 feet. And this fellow's job is to get over the bar. So he's there, and then the, and it's time to go, and, and he's off. So he's sprinting full speed down the track, running down the track, and then at that moment he's got to pull himself up, stick that pole in the ground, pull himself up, and leap straight up, and get over the bar. Now what's the one condition? What's the one thing he has got to do in order to get over the other side, he's got to let go of the, the uh, pole vault. He can't take it with him. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no way. No way. It's exactly the same as Dharma and, and ascending, coming to the highest truth. There's no way. 
unless everything is left, everything is left behind. And it's just how it, how it is that it is not something which one can say, well, after ten days time or after two weeks or after a month or after this, after this last fling. <laughs> when, I've, when I've really had this last big binge in King's Cross, then I'll stop. Because it just feeds a tendency and mind just continues in its same old way, its same old way. So it is not a question so much of uh, a negative sort of actuality, but it is seeing that each moment you are leaving everything behind. All the past, all the conditioning, all, all of the... All the things that you have done, all the places that you have been, all the conversations and all the thoughts, already they've been left behind. Already they've gone anyway. And just as each moment which is coming, it comes a moment, it's here, it's a goner. So there's nothing to do except see the truth of it. Except see the truth of it. And again, and again, and again, and again. This is real, genuine, mental renunciation. Another area. So, we spoke just about with regard to detachment. Seeing there's nothing really to be gotten out of the world of pleasures. With regard to leaving everything behind. And another important area is with regard to the past. One quite often notices with people, there is a genuine, genuine interest to see into existence. But there are unfulfilled responsibilities uh, with regard to past actions which one has engaged in. And this is a, an important area with regard to some people. Again, one may just give a brief illustration. In Thailand, that is in Theravada countries, Buddhist countries, the person cannot be ordained if they have any debts. It's rather similar, rather similar, the person to, who's going to be ordained into Dharma. It means that if in the past they have not fulfilled their responsibility, it is very difficult to make uh, genuine progress. For example, it may be the case that one has a debt. One thinks, well, if I go off here, if I go off and practice and meditate, I'll forget all about it and uh, it doesn't matter anymore anyway, it's all material and I have nothing to do with that. It will the mind will never have any real peace. It will keep popping, popping up and it will make one feel more and more uncomfortable as one becomes more and more sensitive. So that is... Uh, or another area is in terms of relationship. Close personal relationship such as one's parents. A person may well have, for one reason or another, dismissed or argued or condemned or left behind their parents. Or some close, some uh, cont contact with a relative or someone who has helped one considerably and one has snubbed that person or those people. People find they start to start doing doing meditation. They see that that area of their life there is still a gap in it. There is still something. There is still something from the past which needs in some way to be healed. Because it begins to trouble the mind too much in the course of practice and meditation. This has happened. Notice that this has happened several times with people who get into Dharma. 
and quite often all that is necessary is a little humility and perhaps a letter or the genuine motivation in some way or other to heal that split, that division. So sensitivity with regard to the past, with regard to uh, one's responsibilities in the past, so that in that particular area, in fact, one can start from or begin with a clean sheet in terms of what is necessary with regard to other people. So, in terms of the preparation, in terms of the groundwork, Now, people do, of course, read or hear about higher aspects of, of Dharma. They listen to something, and upon uh, listening to it, after a, a period of time goes by, especially these at a higher level of Dharma, they listen, but they don't understand. Or some thoughts come in the mind about, well, perhaps it means this, or perhaps it means that, and the mind, of course, the thinking mind, can't understand it. The reason that one can't understand it directly, it is basically because the groundwork is not there already. The, there, is, there is insufficient preparation. And so the, these, uh, so a talk which is, say in particular, a talk which is at a, a higher level of Dharma, is one is one which is something again in terms of one's own development and understanding, which one begins to grow up or grow towards. In other words, as the ground of one's being gets more and more established, one listens and things which are, are said become much, much clearer, much, much clearer. Even particular words or particular concepts and what they are actually pointing to. Because you see what's happened so, so very much in, in Dharma that the talks remain for many people at just the, at the level where they are at. And when the talks are just at the level where, where they are at, how can a person grow? How can a person have any idea of what they are working towards? So it's in fact a sign for one that if one doesn't see, it's because at the present the clarity is not quite there. Providing, of course, the person who is speaking is, <laughs> is speaking in a language which one can, can, uh, can uh, understand. Just, just as some, some time ago, I was speaking to a person who publishes some, uh, some book or has, has a, an influential, is an influential factor um, who has given his life to publications of Eastern Dharma. And uh, I have seen, I've looked at many of these, many of, many of these publications, and I, and I said to him, it seems to me that what is really necessary for people is that some Dharma is offered to people which is deeper, which, has some, which is something to do with the very essence of what the Dharma is pointing to. But, but you don't find that. And this person's reply to me was, but haven't you read our publications? The person has no idea of what deeper Dharma is. So the Dharma tends by and large to remain really at much too, much too lower ordinary level. And in terms of oneself and one's own growth and development, the understanding which comes to you is an immediate one, invariably an immediate one. 
So a person, in terms of listening, or in terms of careful and very intelligent uh, reading, they can listen to the same Dharma one day or one week. Six months later, they can hear the same sentence again, and it has a completely different meaning. There is far more to be discovered from it. Not because the words have changed so much, but because one has, in oneself, has become clearer, has developed more, and therefore there is more receptivity. So one's meditation, in fact, is one which is a constant preparation to understand. Either it comes externally, or the understanding comes already from within you. It just comes to you from within. And the meditation is a constant preparation in which one stabilizes, anchors oneself more and more, and gains greater self-knowledge and understanding in order that the highest wisdom can shine through. A New York uh, lady, she went to Japan, to Kyoto. This is a story, a true story. And while she was well, there she entered into a Zen monastery, this is just a few years ago, to do Zen meditation practice. And she uh, found through the regularity of the, the practice, <coughs> and of course the strict discipline which is involved, that she was getting great benefit from it. So she wrote to a friend of hers, a taxi driver, working in New York, in New York and invited him to come over. Now the fellow has spent years driving around in a taxi <laughs> and he's invited to come to this monastery uh, of the Rinzai sect, the strict sect where they use the stick, <laughs> to do, this, do meditation. And you know that it is, it is strict in that the person sits full, full lotus, like it or not, you know, and the back and the master walks around. And I have had a number of friends who have been under the discipline of that uh, tradition. And you hear of the stick and the, how they use the stick. People think it's like this. It's not. It's... <laughs> and not once. <laughs> so the person who goes in and watches this and it has to sit to do. The first thing they see, they are convinced the master is a sadist. <laughs> this fellow is obviously some strange sexual pervert <laughs> who's doing nothing else but in getting out his own frustrations on these poor people. It is a really strict tradition and the stick is really laid on. It makes you see where your head's at. <laughs> So, she wrote, and the New York taxi driver turns up in Kyoto. <laughs> well, he didn't know anything at all about meditation. He had simply no idea what he was letting himself in for, and he began to meditate. Taking all the, the treatment and everything that came, and within a few weeks he was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And he went to see the master all shaking and said, I don't know what's going on, I'm really, I'm just out of this, I, I just can't make it out at all. And he, and he, through the interpreter, he explained this to the master, and the master said to him, you're enlightened. This is Satori, you've had Satori, you're out of it, you've, you've had Satori. And not only that, then the fellow, the, the, the master, because there's also exploitation, was so delighted, he called in the radio people, the TV... <laughs> the, the TV people, the newspaper reporters, 
and they were saying, look how these foreigners get it, get Satori, and then these Japanese can't. And this fellow was still going around in a strange space, <laughs> not knowing where he was, and everybody was <laughs> acknowledging him and bowing and so forth. <laughs> so, finally, finally, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he left for Tokyo. <laughs> And he actually was given a certificate to show that he'd got Satori. <laughs> the true story, honestly. And so he went to <laughs> he went to Tokyo, and he was so confused he went to see another master. And the master's master looks at the at the certificate and laughed, and he said, "There's not even a Satori." <laughs> and this blew the fellow's mind. <laughs> He took the next plane back and went back to driving his taxi in New York. <laughs> it's a question, or a case, extreme sort of case, but anyway, <laughs> a case where the person themselves, the individual themselves, starts thinking or in terms of ideas or what's going on in their head, expresses it, and in this case, uh, the, the master, peculiar situations, in a desire to promote someone as having, the, having some sort of satori experience uh, takes a hold of this fellow. But in terms of understanding, it only really comes, as I say, when the groundwork is there. And humility is not that one flies off with the thinking patterns about something, but that one sees what the level of or condition of one's mind is in daily life activity. What the level or the condition of mind is in the daily life activity. Because there is certainly one mark or one characteristic which you see of all beings who have true wisdom, true profound wisdom. And it's one thing which is common to all of them. They have incredible strength. Physically may not be particularly strong, but strength of mind is there. The strength of mind which in difficult circumstances, in pressure, in tension, in excitement, in confusion, or whatever that's going on around, at any sort of level, they are stable. It's a characteristic of, a, of one who has perfect wisdom, or deep wisdom anyway. And so, we're, so though the actual teaching or the actual individual themselves uh, may express it in a different way, talk in a different way, what they say may, may seem to be very ego-centered, the way they use the concept I, and so on and so forth. But still, the thing that you recognize and see is strength. It's a quality uh, which are characteristic of all beings who have wisdom. And that quality of strength is not for most something which came just like that. It's not something which comes comes easily when so much around one is designed or geared to make one quite the opposite and weak. Strength comes by detachment, by genuine seeing and genuine letting go and making of sacrifice. And each one who has come to genuine wisdom and understanding and the joy, the joy that's with it, has had to make along the line real personal sacrifice. At one level or another, some sort of sacrifice or sacrifices had to be made. Some giving up of what one wants. And when sometimes it has been painful, sometimes it has been difficult, but it has been ne an absolute necessity. One simply can't have both. You experience it, I'm quite sure, every single day that we've been here in these nine days. 
many, many times I wonder how many times you've got to this door and you thought, oh God, not again, here we go. How many times one has thought, oh, the last time it was a horror, that sitting. And now I've got only a half an hour or an hour has gone by and now I've got to go through it all again. And one has something anyway inside oneself has brought one in and despite the uncomfortableness, despite the difficulty, has sat and lasted through the hour. When everything else seems so much better, so much easier, so much more attractive. In those, in those periods, it's just a really simple sort of illustration where one is, desire, is dying to what one would like to do in order to do something else which is not in the field of enjoyment. <coughs> and that is what Dharma is concerned with. It's a whole way in terms of learning, finding out what it means to die to oneself or to die to what one would like, to die to the field of enjoyment and in order to see actualities. And so, this, in small things, this dying takes place. And as I say, everyone who has come to real wisdom has found out what it means to die. And Whereas one that, as one goes deeper, gains more insight and understanding, there comes that understanding in which one has already died, it's already finished. There's no more dying to do tomorrow, no more dying to do in 20 years or in old age, because one has already died and has been transformed. So, just to recap in ter again in terms of the ground of what meditation is, one is with regard to letting go, with regard to detachment, with regard to seeing actualities. And finally, in, in terms of practice, <coughs> a most valuable word and concept to work with and deal with is forbearance. Forbearance, a very significant concept in practice. Forbearance. Forbearance is the ability through again development in which one can learn to stand with one end of the opposites and see it as it is. We take a simple example, there's health and sickness. Generally, because when the mind is weak, sickness makes the mind also restless, despairing, unhappy, moody, irritable and so forth. When the sickness takes a hold of the mind, it's very, very difficult to um, stand outside the influence of some illness of the body, I know. But the whole spirit of Dharma is again one of real detachment as much as one can muster by really going into illness. Another area in terms of forbearance and that is in terms of heat and cold. The person, I feel, the person who gets weather is very, very hot and clammy and very, very difficult. The whole day is spent in complaining. And then it goes to the, goes to the other extreme, it gets very, very cold or it gets a little bit cold, it's a little bit away from the norm which one craves for and everything in life, goes towards the cold and when that one, then one is just dressing up too much, covering <coughs> oneself up too much and preoccupied about cold and shivering, shivering, because the mind is unable to look at what is cold. 
So, in terms of uh, opposites, in terms of when things go don't go right for one, looking at uh, situations and seeing where one is really demanding something from situations. All these various areas, again, forbearance. <coughs> to be able to forbear, to, ab- to be able to be with situations. All of this really helps to give one more and more strength, more and more strength. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, a great, great saint of this world, a great, great soul, said to me, and the last things that she's that she said to me when I had a conversation with her was always be prepared to share in the passion of the Lord always be prepared she said to me to share in the passion of the Lord because in terms of Christian terminology in order to rise one has to die In terms of living situations, to share in the passion of the Lord means, in fact, to know what difficulty and what suffering is and to learn how to accept it when it comes. If one can't do it with the little things of life, small things which come, it's going to be quite impossible to do with the big. because the big waves come. Learning what it means to, with the small little things and, and being able to forbear, being able to withstand little difficulties, being humble enough to begin at the smallest little thing and to, if necessary, to let it go or be detached from it or to give something up or to make a little sacrifice with the smallest, smallest thing to begin with that and from that one can grow this is the, the the way of Dharma in daily life it doesn't require any sort of leaving of the world it is to understand the world the Buddha has given seven factors for awakening and these factors begin to grow in the person as they begin to develop the first one is mindfulness attention the other is inquiry investigation And then others include joy, calmness, or relaxation, concentration, equanimity. As a person begins to grow in Dharma, these qualities of mind begin to be seen and recognized in oneself more. Mindfulness is there more. There is more happiness in one's life. A genuine inner type of happiness. More equanimity is there. And all of this again is providing and giving one a much stronger and much firmer foundation in one's life. And then one hears Dharma or one reads a line of Dharma or something that one was there in the memory from the past comes forth and you intuitively understand it intuitively it's cleared, it's clear. there's no problem or difficulty with it because all the preparation has been made
So with regard to oneself and with regard to one's, one's own life, always being humble enough to see what needs to be done, if anything, with re- in terms of one's own development and growth. So our practice and meditation is one to be prepared. In the very preparation so much noise and rubbish of the mind is eliminated. There is increased insight and understanding. And by this means this perfection of wisdom, the completion of all wisdom can be known by thyself. May all beings be firm and stable. May all beings be anchored. May all beings be fully prepared.